Okay, since apparently, since apparently the main problem when one writes a paper is understanding what the instructor actually wants, especially in my case, I don't know. Uh, I hope it's, this is not the case. Um, I will go over the, the, the issue of the paper again today. Um, let's do it first. Now, I changed a little bit, uh, I mean, I, I edited a little bit the, this section of the, of the Moodle website when I give you indications for the paper, stating once again in bold <laughs> that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the acts of the martyrs. How many people pre pretty much think to work about the Christian prompt? Would you please raise your hand? Yes, I had an impression that uh, many could. So please note that this is not a topic on the Christian conflict, the conflict between the Christianity and the empire. This is a topic on the ancient sources that tell us about the martyrs and what textual strategies they're using to present a loss as a victory. You know? So it's, it's about the, mar the, 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 the sources. Do you remember that we have two main big sources quoted in Futural about this? The martyrdom of which saint, which is a nice name. I mean, my name is nice too. Perpetua and Felicitas. This is one large source, large narrative. And the other one, Polycarp. Polycarp. Well, my name is also a, a, an ancient Christian name, St. Pauline or Pauline, whatever, and Onofrio, strange oriental names as well, so I shouldn't make fun of St. Polycarp. First of all, because he's a saint. And, uh, okay, so these large narratives are whole narrative, whole pieces of literature that we can analyze. And I would like this paper to be a, clo a close reading paper, meaning that you quote portions of the text and you discuss what the text says. Text says. And for instance, when you see that St. Polycarp, well, Jason, what did we talk about yesterday or two days ago? Give me an example, because I don't... Um, uh, the behavior of the crowd mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Have you heard this point? So the thing is that the value is The crowd is irrational and now and raging, whereas the the, the the martyr controls himself. Well, there is a passage in the text where the author describes this situation. You want to quote this passage of the text and tell me which words, literally, give us the idea of a of a folly of a of a craziness of the, of the mob, and then which words, which wording, which expressions give us the idea of a self-control of the, of the martyr. And if you want to argue that the martyr is a new athlete, is a new soldier, is a new Roman man in terms of self-control, courage, endurance, etc., you want to do it referring to the text. That's why I outlined this on the larger ancient sources. I said, uh, discussed briefly the nature of the conflict between the imperial government and the ancient Rome. This should be no more than a page or less. I could even take it out if you want. You know, this is a framing that you probably want to tell me what's going on and to frame your discussion. But this is just a short introduction. It should be based on the text. And uh, the secondary literature you want to use is uh, our textbooks. And if you find one article of scholarship plus more that you want to add or one ancient source that you want to compare, you're very welcome to do it. But it's not necessary. I mean, it's sufficient to use the, the textbooks. Capurnia Siglos, Eclogue 7, in the seventh Eclogue, then again a close reading. Amores, starting from Ovid's description of his day at the, day, at the games, 
discuss the elements present in the poem that shed light on the organizational etc. So you want to quote passages, verses, and comment on those passages. So the idea is working on the sources again. The number four is the trickiest one. Is there anybody who wants to do the number four? Thinking of it? Because this can, have you thought? Because this can induce you to think that the fourth one is about athletics. No, it's about the, the ancient sources again. Although we don't have a one, one large source about this, but many anthology passages, please make sure that you are discussing the source. I don't recommend to, to choose the fourth one, honestly. Because, <laughs> let's say it bluntly, because I'm afraid that it can be little based on the sources, etc. Well, then I don't want to recommend one, but if I had two, I would recommend Plodos because he's an author I studied. But I studied him, I don't know you. I, say, I think that Plodos is the one we have more secondary literature to work on because we have uh, Duckworth, many chapters. We have uh, three chapters of Duckworth that give you a broader introduction. We have the introduction itself, which was in a PDF file. This one. This is the Moodle website, okay? Um, this, this is a section about the Braga soldier. We have uh, here the first part of the, of the English translation, second part of the English translation, and then we have an introduction which is in English. Please read it. It's very, very useful. Also, as you noted, the readings for today are a sort of comment on the Braga soldier. So please quote all those sources if you do that trace. And you have lots of material to use for plotters. You can also consult a commentary. The commentary is in the YRL and in the Powell library. So that topic, number five, is very, all topics are very broad, actually. So feel free to choose a point and use it. Please use a structure. Please structure your paper in terms of introduction, order the development, and conclusions. Meaning, in the introduction, you say what you want to do, what the question is. Then in the development, you quote the ancient sources, you comment on them, making a point, following a point. So please write down an outline for yourself. What's your point? What you're trying to show? Then in the conclusion, summarize, making sense of what you said, convincing me that you had a point. This is also a rhetorical device of the genre of the paper. Um, the relentless recommendations are something we already said. One thing I added is this short paragraph saying and saying again what I'm saying today. Close reading is supposed to be a close analytical and critical reading of one or more ancient sources, supported by the citation of secondary literature. The readings of the class are sufficient, but further bibliography quoted will be also appreciated. As a specimen of a paper rooted on close analysis of the ancient text, not that I am a good example for anything, but since I've been bred in papers, not in English though, I decided to put online this paper, it's a PDF. Now, I will give a talk at UCLA next Tuesday about Petronius. I've been working on this for a while, I translated that in poor English, and with the help of some friends of mine, but, you know, still, you can figure out how literary my English is. So don't take it as an example for the form, don't take an example for nothing, just put it in online, just in case it could be helpful for you to take a look on how a classics paper looks like in terms of, let me open it up, in terms of close reading. The title is uh, autobiographical, The Sleep of Reason in the Bellum Kivilo Petronius. And, uh, okay, then I make, a I make a little introduction. 
saying in the bellum civile is this and that, because people don't know what it is. It's a poem within the Satyricon of Petronius. And the Satyricon of Petronius is a novel, probably of the first century AD. Okay. Then I say, during this talk, I will first contrast the exposition of this and that. Then I will compare Lucan. Then I will bring Virgil in. And then I will make the point that the sleep of Rome, which is corrupted, is parallel to the illness of art in ancient Rome. This is the, what I think that Petronius is telling us. And I say in here, okay, the, the, this is the introduction, I say what I am doing. Then I go into a paragraph which is comparing Petronius with Livy, comparing Petronius with Sallus, etc. And as you see, when I talk about Livy, all the italic parts are ancient texts, of course, in Latin. So, I say, Livy Praefatio 4, here is handout, because it'll give an handout, this is the text, this is the other text, and then here this is the other text. He used the word decido, he, used the word, he uses the word praecaps, so I'm making a point based on the text, trying to convince the person that this is in the text, okay? This is what I mean for close reading. With Salos, who is an historian, well, also Livy is an historian, but I'm, I'm referring here to a larger passage. I quote larger passages, and I <coughs> discuss more the content than the form. Of course, I'm not asking you for a formal, analytical, literary essay, because this is no liter literature class. And we ourselves did read little passages word by word. But the content of the passages, which is what I do here, as you see, there is continuously some Latin quoted in Lucan as well. Etc. 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 Okay. You can download it and just don't publish it with your name. Also because it's a work in progress and there's ba barely any bibliography quoted. Just a couple of things in notes. Okay. Any questions about the paper? Hey, please. Yes, I think that five pages is enough for me to correct. But uh, if you go any longer, it's okay. But please mercy me. <laughs> no, I'm flying to Italy just afterwards. Mm, if you if you have any precise idea that you think that cannot be developed developed in less than eight pages, which is sometimes the case, if you have, you can just email me. I will tell you. Well, I think that the secondary sources, the secondary literature, should be there necessarily. So you have to quote at least. Uh, Thank you for asking. You see, that's important to ask questions. Because you have to s quote at least Duckworth. If you're making plotus, at least Duckworth and the introduction to the Braggart Soldier. And you could bring in uh, other readings like Gladiators and Caesars. The more secondary literature you quote, the better it is. And uh, necessarily, like required, will be the textbooks. Those will have to be in the footnotes, okay? It's not just you look at the text and you come up with an interpretation. Other questions? If you, no, not necessary. I mean, you can say in the text, you know, look for 12 cents. Other questions? Okay, well, uh, I must thank Heidi again because she emailed me. You, do you remember the question she asked the other time? Would you repeat it again, please?
Well, the translator is trying to... Uh, we've, we've studied in uh, Duckworth, the last chapter of Duckworth that we've read, it said that already, already for Cicero and Quintilian, who say it very clearly, but this thing goes back to Aristotle, the comic spirit can lie in two different aspects of the text. In verbis and in rebus in Latin, meaning what? In the words and in the thing. So the situation can be funny, or the words that are being said are funny. You know, you can have uh, puns and play words, so words, <laughs> word the language, or you can have a situation which is funny in itself. Of course, you can translate a drama from Greek to Latin and from Latin to English, saving the situation. I mean, the, the trick of the soldier. The soldier is being tricked, and he's being tricked in every language you translate it in. But the words are very hard to to render in another language, because either you save the sound of the words, um, meaning alliterations, repetition of same sounds, consonants, or you save the meaning. Let's make an example about this, this paper point I prepared for today. The things we will try to discuss today are the plodding puns and play words and gladiators and Caesar, the readings for today. First thing, if I can go ahead, is... Uh, these are the first, the first passages are the ones that Heidi emailed to me and asked me about, so I thank her very much for her. I mean, we basically co-wrote this PowerPoint, basically. So, at page 20, these verses, Palaestrio says, uh, I'm sorry, okay, I, I was being impolite going uh, My uh, Palaestrio says, he's a servant. No, this is Skeledrus, this is Skeledrus, who says, I am a servant, so... I think I saw this girl, Pilocomasio, kissing this guy. I saw her with my own eyes. And Palaiso tells her, no, you didn't see it. You think, you I mean, you're, you, you're, you're wrong, right? And you will end up on the cross. You will be punished for accusing this girl unjustly. And he says, my ancestors, in English, in your English translation, all ended there, exactly like my forefathers and five fathers, which is a way to render this alliteration. Repeat the sound, four, five, f. Now, the, the, the original Latin is the following. I tried to use Corso to make clear what I'm translating with what. Skeleto says, because Palaestrio is threatening him, that he will die on the cross. And he says, noli militari, don't threaten me. Militari, menes, to threaten. Scio crucem, I know that the cross, crux, crucis, in neo Latin languages, croce, qua, cruz, etc., Santa Cruz. I don't want to restart this. Now, restart later, yes, whenever you want. Sorry. <laughs> Why am I breathing so heavily on this microphone today? It's a kind of horror movie. Okay. Don't threaten me. Uh, I know that the cross will be my grave. Futura mi sepulcrum will be my grave. There on the cross, Ibi, my ancestors, mei maiores, my ancestors, sunt city, have been placed, city, website, city, site. Okay. I, my ancestors have been placed there on the cross. And he says who his ancestors are. Pater avos pro avos abat, uh, abavos. So my father, literally, my father, my grandfathers, uh, this is plural, as my father, my grandfathers, my grand grandfathers, and my grand-grand-grandfather. Now, if you look up in a dictionary, in a good dictionary, you see that pro-avos <laughs> means the grand-grandfather, the father of your grandfather. 
but ABBA was basically means the same thing. So this, it looks like this is the first, this is your first grade of relatives, the second grade, third and fourth, but actually it's not, because these two mean the same thing. But the effect he's trying to give us is that, of course, instinctively, we tend to think that these, these ones are the fathers of these ones. Uh, because what he's trying to render us, rather than a, that rather than a literary translation of some degree of parentage or relativeness, is the idea of accumulation of generations forever and ever. So we have uh, many uh, literary, many phonetical phenomena going on. Let me read it in Latin. Noli minitari, scio crucem futuram mi sepulcrum, ibi mei sunt maiores siti, pater, avos, pro avos, abavos. First of all, we have the alliteration, which is the repe repetition of the same sound. As, I, as you've read in the readings for today, the first Latin literature, Livius Andronicus, was written, the poetry, was written, was written in which verse? Verse, verse. I'm trying to fake an English accent, I'm sorry. Later on, the Greek verses were introduced in Rome. Examiner and dramatic verses, iambic verses. But the very first archaic sort of metrical scheme used in Rome was what? Livius Andronicus translated the Odyssey in the, the Saturnius, Saturnius, which is uh, completely different. Okay, Plotus already writes in Greek meter. Saturnius is a completely different sort of metrical scheme. It's not based on the quantity of the syllables, like a green metric, the, the, the Greek metric system. It's based, we don't know because it's, it's very obscure, it's a problem, but it possibly was based on the accents, where the accents are put, like in modern literatures. So it's a completely different system. In that system, which is a loose metrical system, in order to keep a sort of coherency, consistency of the verse, you want to use all sorts of figures of sound to keep the language together. This is the reason why the Latin poetry, especially archaic Latin poetry like Plotus, uses lots of, of um, linguistic artifices, artifices. How is this relevant to our general discourse, since this is a civilization class and not a literature class, all right? So I'm reminding this to myself, Paolo, you're not teaching literature. So sort of don't bother these guys. But how is this relevant to our general discourse? The thing is that, as you see, the comedy is not just a translate. Roman comedy is not just a translation of Greek comedy, although it is. I mean, Plotus says, you know, the Miles Gloriosus, the braggart soldier, is translated from this specific Greek comedy. If you want to check and see the original, go to Athens and you can see it. What's the title of the original Greek comedy from which the braggart soldier is translated? Alazon, Alazon, which means the same thing. The guy basically who bosses Alazon. So it's a translation, but it's an original work. How? And which is an interesting to me, <laughs> top to me, interesting topic about how literary forms and cultural forms whatsoever, including the Simpsons and including uh, Greek athletics and including Greek politics with a, with a monarch, with an emperor, with a king, can be imported into another society with a complex phenomenon. Things are translated, and when they're translated, they're changed. Now, how, what are the ways, in which ways, Plotus makes a new work out of his Greek originals? Let's discuss this. There are many ways, I guess. I 
I guess so. I think so. Uh, do you have uh, the bracket soldier with you? I have to look for it to find it a second, so it's going to take a, a minute. But uh, if you can help me, do you remember <coughs> there is a scene, one scene, and thank you, Wendy, for <laughs> reminding me the other time. Do you, there is this one scene where when Palaestrio is expected to come out, and uh, I guess Periplectomenus asks, where is Palaestrio, you know? And instead of Palaestrio, another servant comes out. Do you remember that one? A servant which we won't meet anymore. In the, you know, I, I used to be, I used to be a Family Guy addicted. Now I'm out of the tunnel. But when I was fam in Family Guy, sometimes, if you see it, I'm sorry to make this very cultural reference, like something happens in the plot. At a certain point, the fa Peter, whoever he is, dreams of something. Like imagining, I don't know, that. Uh, whatever Hollywood actor is showing up and singing with him and then he sings with Michael Jackson, these sort of things, which have nothing to do with the plot. And the funny thing is that they have, they're completely unrelated to what's going on. And he sings with Michael Jackson just because, for no reason, completely randomly, Michael Jackson is showing up and singing with him. <laughs> and this is part of the funny thing. Well, this is similarly <laughs> in plotters. There are episodes which are there because they're completely unrelated Okay, there we go, I found it. Do you remember this slave? It's called Lurchio. Lurstio, Lurchio. It's uh, page uh, 40. Okay, page 40, right? Um, end of the page, there's this didascali. A pause, not Skeledrus, but another slave, Lurchio by name, appears at the door, extremely drunk. I'm sorry, that's the other way around. Skeletus was supposed to come out. Because Skeletus had said that he had seen the girl, and then he goes into the house, and he's being convinced, he started to be convinced that the girl wasn't there, and then he goes into the house, and we wait for him to come out and declare that he hasn't seen what he has, what he has seen. So we're waiting for Skeletus to come out to move the plot, to make the plot look, move forward. We want to know whether this girl will be punished or whether not, you know, or whether the, the, the slave will do. And so instead of Skeledrus, another slave, Lurchio, comes out extremely drunk, which is normally, you know, the, the, the imitation of the drunk guy is a standard stock topic of all cabaret and uh, comedi comedians, etc. And so he comes out, and uh, if you remember, what does he do in the plot? What's his role? This Lurchio guy. Sorry? Subs do it. Can you say it again, please? Subs do Subs do I honestly Sub Stewart. Okay, so yes, he's, this is what he is. But in the plot, how does he move the plot? You know? I'm talking about Lurchio. Lurchio, not Skeletus. Mm hmm. I guess so. I'm not sure I, did, I understood it all, in all honesty. <laughs> but let me, <laughs> let me say that. Yeah, yeah, because he makes him drunk, that's what you say. But when Skeletro comes out, do you remember, does he resist or not to the argument of Palaestria? He resists for a while. Does he resist as a drunk person or as a person who has some points? 
You know, let, let, you could read it, of course. He says, you know, but I saw it with my eyes. And he says, no, it's, uh, you know, it's his dream. He doesn't behave like a drunk person. He says, yeah, but uh, how can it, you know, if I don't see her coming out from this house, where she's supposed to be, as you're saying, I won't believe, she has to come out from that house because I saw her there. With oh, okay, thank you, sorry. And then when he gets out, what happens? He... Oh, yeah, that's right. So it doesn't come out at all. All right, so for the... Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, I see. I see. Well, I see this, this point. But imagine a more, more mm, linear situation where we expect Skeletus to come out, and Skeletus comes out and says that he hasn't seen what he has seen. But I'm sure that he says, he gives up. He says that he hasn't seen it somewhere. Yes, well, actually, you could argue something different. That's right. You know, you could say, oh, it's a surprise thing that we expect a guy and another guy uh, shows up. Yeah. Who's the one you're talking about? Uh-huh. Barney, ah, yeah. Ah, Barney Gamble, yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> he burps pretty much. Uh-huh, well, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Sure you can, sure you can. Not all of this, of course. I mean, if I can lecture about this and not get don't get fired, I guess you can write. So far, but I'm going back to Italy anyway, so because I have a temporary job, so they don't have the time to fire me. That's why <laughs> I can say whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, other, other. Okay. Well, yes. Pretty much what I think is that he's basically coming on the stage. This is a hypothesis, but look if it makes sense. He comes out instead of Skeletus. Possibly in the original, Skeletus came out and said, you know. You're right. Maybe you're really right. Incredible, etc. And then the action goes on. But instead of Skeletus comes out this guy who's much more funny because the Skeletus guy has already made us made us laugh when he was convinced of something which was impossible before. Thank you, Wendy, for reminding me. Um, and this one just comes out on the scene and basically says how Skeletus got drunk. The drunkness of Skeletus doesn't have a role in the play, as far as I see, because he got fooled before being drunk. Being drunk. So. Also, the name of this slave is Lurkio. All other names are Greek. Periplectomenos is the one who embraces everything, Gladiators and Periplectomai. Lurkio is a Roman name. Lurkio, Lurkionis, third declension, means a glutton. Glutton. Lurkio, a glutton. So a guy comes out whose name is the glutton who says, oh, we've been drinking so much, and the guy is so drunk he can't even show up, and he describes the, guy, the drunk <laughs> guy. And he makes a lot of nonsense about, did you make him drink? No, I just spilled the, the wine, but the wine came down. That's why the, um, the amphors are upside, upside down. This is all sort of fun, which doesn't have to do with the rest, with the thing. So no commis, no commis in things, but commis in words, in nonsense, and not, definitely not in action. 
also the name of this person is a Roman name, which is a good, a good way to, a good example of what is probably being added to the plot by, by plotters to make it just a little bit more funny. Um, now, another, another way how he mm, transforms these comedies from the Greek originals. So, by adding passages of the plot which weren't there in the plot just for fun, for, um, I don't know, comedy, pure comedy. What else? Definitely not, because how was the situation in Menander, one of his, or in the new comedy? I mean, the Greek originals, right? Soundtrack, I used to say that. Yeah, sort of. But not the soundtrack because it was sound. It was sound. It's like the opera. Yes, like in Cecilius, uh, which which is in the readings for today. But uh, to be even more precise, in the Greek comedy, the acts uh, were divided by interludes, where the chorus, a chorus came in. A chorus was basically we think that a chorus, a choir, is somebody who sings. It's a group of people who sing. They used to dance, first of all, to dance and sing, two things together. So it was a very spectacular feature of the New Greek comedy. But in the New Greek comedy, the choruses don't speak songs written by the author very often. They speak <coughs> tunes uh, or funny or funny or pleasurable interludes, which sometimes were not even written by Menander himself. So what basically happens is that we have acts, uh, first act, second act, up to five acts. And in the meanwhile, these acts are separated by the chorus coming in, singing, dancing, music, just to, you know, to entertain the public. Plotus makes a different thing. He eliminates the choruses at all and, trans and translates and transforms some parts of the comedy itself into sung parts of the comedy. Am I clear? I mean, is it clear the difference? The, co the, the sung parts of Plotus are part of the, of the comedy itself. They're not interludes. So he makes it much more musical, especially in the later... So that's right. So fun, I mean, um, slap, slapric, slapstick, slapstick, um, added parts, uh, and uh, music. And what else? Which is more cultural. Or well, well, I was, was going to say, um, it obviously, as far as the wordplay is concerned, you have to do a lot of work to bring it, make it funny um, mm -hmm. and um, make interpretive um, that tells about Very big. Big time. Big time. I'm trying to pick some sort of slang. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if this is very lame, isn't it? Big time. That's right. That's exactly what he does. And he's very skillful in this. Very skillful. Your translator in English here is quite skillful too in doing the same job. Have you seen he's translating an alliteration with another alliteration? But Plautus does this a lot. Let's go ahead and read in this. And then let's continue about analyzing those differences and those, this novelty. Mm-hmm. Ah, four or five, that's right, right. Oh, yes, also in Latin, I forgot to say that there is a lot of alliterations. The, look at the first, first line, and then there's the journal in a second. Uh, NM, noli minitari, with the long of I, noli minitari, noli min. And so, schio crucem, schio crucem, so then C repeated, which is where it goes gruesome. 
no? The crooks, so schio crookem. He goes noli militari and then he says schio crookem futuram, etc. And then in the second line, ibi mei sunt maiores city. And so mm. Another quite funny part, in the, sounds funny in Latin, of course, there's no way to translate Plotus as it is, as you see, is that maiores in Latin means your ancestors. But it's a noble word. You know, the most mayor means a word for nobles. The ones who, could, who would take track of their ancestors were the nobles, like in modern noble families as well. You know, if you're a slave, you don't even know what's the name of your grand-grandfather. Since I come from a family of farmers, I honestly don't know the name of my forefather. And there's people, I, I knew a person in Palermo who's apparently a comte. And he's really a comte, <laughs> if you look like this. I don't know. Interesting guy. And apparently he knows what the name of his forefather, grandfather, in the Middle Ages was, okay? So this is a typical noble thing, the maiores. Sounds in the mouth of a, of, a, of a slave, it sounds funny. Also, when he says sunt city, it could refer to some sort of collocation, I don't know, in society. That's where they are, they're where, they're, they're where they've been buried. There's noble people in Palermo, who, then again, who have ancestors buried in famous in the cathedral or in famous churches over there, because back then the noble people would be buried in churches, okay? So probably this is the illusion he's making, but where, the place where, because he said this is where they have been put. So he's not saying that's how they died, that's where they've been put. But it's probably double, and there's a double entendre, he's referring to some sort of noble buried, which is the cross, the, the death of the slaves back then. So this is sort of irony, which you cannot render. Ended there, it's not translated. And John and then, okay, you're okay. Yeah. Yes, but not in a social sense, you know, in a joker, not in a class sense. Yeah, but then again, he's trying to make this complex word, and this is the complex word that Plotus is making in Latin. John. Yes, I, th I think, yeah, I think you could be right. Of course, you feel English much better than I do, so thank you. Surely he's doing a good job. Surely he's trying to render it. But as you see, he has to, to change slightly the metaphorical uh, allusions he's trying to make. And also, there's another alliteration. For instance, uh, sorry, the alliteration of C, cross, which is so tremendous, so pskiokrukem, is not rendered at all. And this is a phono-symbolic aspect which was relevant in the Latin text, you know? From the I, which is a tiny sound, it goes to the K, skio krukem, when it speaks about his destiny of death. Heidi. Lizro, I tried to make it a little, yeah. Mm -hmm. You see, if you want to be very literal and adherent to the text, you lose completely the phonetical fun and spirit. You're not translating something. Something is being lost, evaporated, which is the fun, which is in the words and, and not in the thing, as Aristotle says. Heidi. I think so. I think he's rendering it. 
going a little farther away from the literary translation, he goes closer to the spiritual translation. I have other examples which I emailed me. Um, page 63. Now, Palaestro is convincing the soldier to let this woman, who allegedly loves him, come on her own voluntarily. So the soldier shouldn't summon her and tell her that she has hopes. She should, he should be rude and uh, pretend he's resisting, so the girl comes, the woman comes, and he's uh, even more burning for him. The English translation is, do let, her, do let her come unbidden, turn, to yearn, to burn, to wait her turn. So it's also a kind of metrical, very correctly a metrical rendering. In Latin, sin ultra veniat, quaerite desidere expectet. So then again, there's some rhythm. <coughs> but the literary translation is, let her come unbidden, veniat. Quieted, desiderate, expected. Quieted, may her ask insistently. Quiero means to ask. Quierito means to ask insistently. So, may her ask insistently. Desiderate, desire, no? May she desire, have the desiderium for you. It's not burning. There is no metaphor of fire at all. Uh, but, of course, desire burn. <coughs> expected, may she wait and hope. I mean, it means two different things. Expecto means I expect something, meaning I wait for something to happen, and I hope that this happens. This is expect is a good translation. Expectation, desperate housewives. Spero means to hope in Italian as well. Esperanza, in Spanish. Is it Spanish? Esperanza? Spero. So, expected, may she wait with hope. Um... Now, in the translation, the expecto, the hope thing, is completely lost. To wait her turn. She's in line. She's waiting in line. Where is the, this expectation? It's lost. But quieto, to yearn. Yeah, it's not to yearn means to desire, no? But in this case, it's or not. Yearn is... But what he asks is to ask insistently. May, he, may she ask you once, twice, three times. Desiderat, uh, may she desire, is pretty good, burn, but there is something more. So what he's doing is translating it in order to make a pun, a play, uh, burn, turn, a rhyme, basically. So the translation renders it, but uh, it's not completely, uh, I mean, adherent to the original. What I wanted to point out is that the rhetorical figure Plotus is using is called homeoteleuton, same endings, quietet, desideret, expected. And the way the English translator is rendering it is with a rhyme. I think that this, we, we cannot compare the Greek original to Latin, also because we do not have the Greek original, uh, unless for one papyrus fragment of another. But we can compare Latin to English a little bit, just to give an idea of how the translation process works. Um, this other one uh, is, uh, oh yeah, this is the one we just saw. Okay, now we have... Uh, um, Pleusicles, the young man, who is disguised as a, as a um, sailor. Do you remember in the end of the play? He comes to take the girl away. Disguised as a, and so he has a band on, 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 his, uh, on his eye. Um, the ocean caused me to lose this eye less. And yet, were it not for the Dave Ocean, I could use it now. I honestly don't see the pun in English. Why should I pretend? What's, but no, but there is one, because you... What's, what's the deal? Ah, ocean and the ocean, yeah. Mm -hmm. For the dev ocean. Mm -hmm. Well, these two things sound the same way, but are spelled different. That's what you say, dev ocean. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. 
And he's doing something which is very similar to Ledin. Ledin is like that. Ma in in Ledin, mm, ocean, sea, we don't have any ocean. We have sea, just, and it's mare, okay? Marine, submarine, we all live in a yellow submarine. So, <laughs> so Maris is mare. Because, because of, the of the sea, for Hercules, just an exclamation, I cannot use this eye, ocular, no? Binocular, this eye. For, for, for sake, of, I mean, because of the sea, Maris. Actually, for, if I uh, restrained myself, amare, amare, and this is the pun, I would use this I, I would have the usage of this I. So, I lost it because of the mare. If I restrain myself, amare, it's written a, it's spelled a mare, separated. When it's spelled amare, it means from the sea. A mare, a means from, mare is, okay, actually it should be amari, in classical Latin, but this is also archaic, and well, not all puns work perfectly. Mare with the E is a good, a Latin would have felt that it's an ablative. Although, you know, mare, maris, animal, animalis, they would be, oh yeah, this is another story. But okay, say it's, uh, if it's all together, amare, you feel that it's the verb amare, to love, in Italian, in Spanish, amare, in France, etc., in French. So, if I restrain myself, amare, direct infinitive, means from loving. If I restrain myself, a, Mare means from la from the sea. Now the reason why the soldier, the, the the sailor, the fake figure, has lost his eye is because of the sea in an incident. But <coughs> the reason why the lover has disguised himself as though he had lost his eye is because he didn't restrain himself from love, not from the sea. Since he loves, he lost he lost his eye. Okay? So this is the kind of, he's saying it in the face of the soldier, and anybody understands this. <laughs> this is the thing, okay. So when the actor would have spoken it, it would have sounded correct? Because you say, amare, or amare, is the same thing. Because yeah. if I read it, now, si abstinuissem amare, amare, or amare, same thing. Si abstinuissem amare, he probably would have made some sort of strange face, although he had a mask, some sort of strange <laughs> hand gesture. Tanquam um, If you remember, then he kisses the girl in the face of the soldier. So the fact that he kisses the girl is something Plotus could have added, if he wanted, just to make it clear. At, at a certain point, the soldier says, "What are you doing?" No, she's fainted. No, please, but get your hands off her. Or off her. And so then again, then no, do you remember what Plato says? The comic facts is born, <coughs> originates from a lack of knowledge. Who doesn't know himself is comic, is funny, like the braggart soldier who doesn't know himself. <coughs> Many characters in the place don't know what's going on around, including the braggart soldier, are deceived. So knowledge, lack of knowledge is funny. In this case, what is, uh, and the audience, the audience has a feeling of superiority, you know, the superiority theory, theory because the audience knows what's going on. They're not, we're not stupid like Homer Simpson, we're not stupid like the soldier, we're better. In this case, the soldier is told what's going on. He's told in a, in a trifled way. So the, the duplicity and the ambiguity of the plot is reduplicated by the duplicity and ambiguity of the language. And uh, although, and the, just like a soldier doesn't understand the duplicity, both faces of reality, of action, things, he doesn't understand the two faces of words, which is called irony, comic irony, saying two things in one. In tragedy, the same thing happens. 
um, a character says something which can be interpreted in two different ways, a normal one or a very tragic one. The other character doesn't understand the truth, and therefore he's doomed to, to ruin, to, to, to his own uh, destruction. And this is ironic, ironic in a tragic sense. This is the comic irony. Uh, sorry, can we go ahead? Wow, good question. What do you think? He wore a mask, <laughs> of course, but uh, he didn't wear the belly. The belly was the belly boat. What is it called? The the stomach, the large fat uh, <laughs> thing that uh, the slaves would wear. They would actually wear a cushion to be fed. So he wouldn't. He wasn't. Well, now since I'm out of uh, Family Guy, I'm into Scrubs now. So, <coughs> Doctor Cox is a braggart soldier, isn't he? There is an episode where he says, somebody says the church is coxish, coxish, like cox, meaning that he's very, he has a huge, huge ego. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Dr. Cox is a nice guy, he's a pretty handsome guy. And, uh, but he pretends he's even better than he is. And so I think his wife is actually attracted by him somehow. Uh, good couple in any case and uh, well yes I think that uh, it's not necessary that he was necessar necessarily ugly in order to make the comic effect work if a good actor is good enough uh, but how, how can we know it <laughs> okay uh, this is going to be online the next passage you can see yourself because I tried to make it self explanatory because you know we're going home right now flunky to a freely female etc try to look at this and we'll talk about it next time Okay, okay, never mind. I <coughs> well, let me turn the microphone off. Okay, goodbye.